Hello, and welcome to the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. Today is the first portion of our 2019 year-end jam, in which we talk about some of the best and worst things of the year. We'll have the second part up in a week. Enjoy the show. Now that we have opened our drinks, coughed, sneezed, unwrapped our candies, uh, we can do we can do our year-end review early in the next year. Hooray! It's Maximo. Who do we got? I'm Liz. Hi, this is Nicole Saratori. Are we doing our like who we nope, are? Nope, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> she started the trend. I was so naked, I just felt like I couldn't do. Go to the website if you want details. We've been doing this for what did we just say six years. Like it, it, people, if you don't know who we are, go to the website. Our pictures are there. Yeah, I don't remember. I was like, we're doing last names now. I don't know. I'm Jose. I guess Jose's in the paper sometimes. Um, my name's Jack. I'm not in the paper very often. I'm Penny Maria. I should be in the paper always. <laughs> I'm Oren Squire, not in the paper. Ben Ferber. I was once on the front of the New York Times arts section, but I was in the background of a photo. I'm David Levy. I really enjoyed MTV's reality show, The Paper. I'm Patty. I saw Newsies 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> I like this free associating. I love you all. I've missed you so much. So. I'm going to go with the first question. Do we just just go with it? Yeah. Unprepared. Be prepared or not. We'll we'll put time movie. code links to the questions in the description so you can sort of see what we're talking about when it is. <laughs> Skip whole swaths if you want. Oh no. Um, so, if you had relatives, smart ones who enjoy good theater coming to town for the holidays, what show currently playing in New York City would you recommend? And I'll I'll lead it off. Yeah. I was going to say American Utopia. David Byrne, it's joyful, it's big, people leave dancing, it's kind of a concert, it's kind of a show, the crowd is super weird, um, it's a weird mix of like, people's, <laughs> the night that I saw it, someone was yelling at David Byrne to do other songs, <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> it's a lot, but it did leave like very happy and excited, and it's short, and it's fun, and you know the songs, and why not? And nobody wears shoes, right? Nobody wears shoes. Bare feet. Bare feet, trending. No. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about that that I like. I don't know. It has a more relaxed vibe. Oh, but I don't want to deal with other people's feet. And well, I don't want to deal with my bare feet on those gross, mm. gross carpets. Oh, right. To be clear, the audience doesn't have bare feet. Only the performers. Yes, the performers. Well, <laughs> I haven't seen this. I don't know. I was in the back row. I probably could have taken my shoes off if I wanted to. I do worry that what if not. someone drops their trumpet on their feet? Oh, I don't know. They just do a lot of the uh, jazzy dance moves, and then they oh. pick it up, and then they go off stage and they scream. I don't know. Are we just moving on now? Um, I didn't get to see American Utopia. Now I really want to see it. Um, okay, I think it is a terrible time of year for your relatives to come to town, and maybe they shouldn't. Um, but if I have to pick an answer, <laughs> gun to my head, um, I'm going to say The Sound Inside, which is on the Broadway, um, starring Mary Louise Parker. And I like it because it's a kind of atmospheric, smart, and kind of surprising, twisty play. It's only 90 minutes. It's an Adam Rapp play directed by David Cromer. And David Cromer's direction is, like, sublime and honestly makes the play so much better. So if I had to pick one, that's what I would say. I'm not even sure if it's opened again, but Macbeth is coming back. And I would send my – I would do them – I would make them do, like, a double bill because I'm, like, a very uh, – demanding that way i'm like go to both shows so i would send him to macbeth and our dear dead drug lord 
I think that's the first time I've ever said that play's title, like, and didn't fuck it up. Uh, but I love them both. They're both about, like, women, like, young women who are pissed, and they should be pissed, and they set everything on fire, and there's blood everywhere, and there's so much fun, and they're very educational also. Okay, key question. Is the Half Straddle show still open at the Vineyard? My recommendation is, is this a room, um, which is the uh, Half Straddle show that actually debuted in New York at the beginning of the year at the kitchen during, like, festival season, um, which is the uh, documentary sort of verbatim theater piece based on the case of Reality Winner. And it is one of the most, like, white-knuckle stressful shows I've ever seen. It's absolutely thrilling, and it's just people on a stage talking. Uh, performances are great. The show is great. Uh, I think close for like a hot second at the Vineyard Theater, and then it's like reopening due to popular demand. That's what I would take my relatives to um, if Nicole let them come. <laughs> so I would take my relatives, my smart relatives, to see One and Two by Donnie Love. That's being put on by the new group at Signature Theater, playing through mid-January. And it's a very serious, um, emotional but also a little bit joyful um, look at black queer men uh, dealing with HIV diagnosis. And you kind of get an inside scoop, um, a look behind the curtains at, at what that's like, what that experience is like, who um, they're dealing with and how they're handling it. And I think it's just a very important piece um, and it's a topic that needs to be discussed. A Soldier's Play by Charles Fuller is now going up, and I think my relatives should see it because David Allen Greer is a national treasure. He is highly underrated. He can do comedy. He could do drama. Uh, one of my friends uh, said he was the funniest actor he's ever worked with in his life, and unfortunately, his career never really like exploded. He's like the black person's Jim Carrey, or if Jim Carrey was black, that this is the career would have had, like a good career, but not a superstar. Uh, but he easily could be a superstar, and every time he's in a sitcom, he sort of walks away and steals scenes, so you should see a soldier's play and see uh, his dramatic chops, and of course, Charles Fuller, and one of the first black plays to win a Pulitzer Prize, receiving a great revival going on right now, so check it out. I would second Jack, and is this a room? Um, that's the only thing I've seen three times ever in my life. And it, th I will be honest, it's because the second two times, uh, there were people who like don't go to the theater a lot who wanted to see something good, and so I took it, them to it. Um, and it's running till the 19th. But to give something different, I'm going to say be adventurous. Go to the Exponential Festival's website. They're a January festival that is new and great, and they do really, really weird shit. And go to their website, open all of the shows, just read the descriptions, and if you like them, pick the best one or the best ones that you think sound cool and go to them. Because theater, I think when you, particularly when you want to become a theater goer, being adventurous and going to weird shit is great. So try it. Make your relatives try it. Maybe I'm the only one who has relatives who have kids, but I was thinking about something that you might bring the family to. Uh, and I want to recommend Pips Island, which is an off-Broadway immersive theater production running in a space uh, built for them on 42nd Street. And it is very much geared towards, I, I don't know, like five to 10 year olds. Uh, I'm not necessarily good with figuring out the age of children around me. 
Um, and and they're they have a really skilled way of putting the kids front and center in the room, but also having the grown-ups sort of around the outside of the room so you can experience the show without being involved in the show or getting in the way of the kids. And uh, it's great. It's like everything I like about immersive theater. It's uh, it, it's sort of a beautifully constructed space and um, you move around from place to place and uh, there is some interaction but not interaction that's super uncomfortable and very little of the interaction is actually to the adults which is an extra bonus for me um, there's no like one-on-ones <laughs> um, uh, and and they're the the cast and their supporting staff there are also just like really great at handling these kids as audience members who get to move around, but also like can't just move around willy nilly. Uh, so they're, they're really good at hurting them. They're really good at uh, sort of calming them. If someone gets upset because it can be a little scary at times, they have um, all sorts of tools in their back pocket to calm them down or take them out of the room if they need to. It's just, it, it was really sort of the best possible theater experience for young children I think in many ways even better than the kind where they have to like sit in a seat and pay attention the whole time so uh, I would wholeheartedly recommend that to people with kids who are the right age I didn't see a ton this year and I haven't seen a ton over the past three years of like what is still open Um, so uh, that doesn't mean that my recommendation isn't valid but it's just coming from a smaller pool of shows Um, And sort of along the same lines as David, I brought my niece, my 13-year-old niece, to this show when she came to visit last year. And my recommendation uh, is Beetlejuice. I thought it was a really fun adaptation of the movie that was just different enough. um, I hadn't seen it in a long time, but there were enough moments from the movie that I remembered. And you could tell that the audience also was like, oh, yeah, that guy or whatever. Um, And But it also was affecting. I didn't. I didn't do this on purpose, but my my sister lost her husband a few years ago, and they changed the um, the storyline to be about Lydia's dead mom, and so it was like an uh, an accidental like theater moment for my niece. Like I kind of felt her uh, connecting with the show, and it was it was really cool. And it's obviously got like you know ribald raunchy humor um, that can span if you've got like an like a younger kid that that they can work with that kind of humor and it's also good for adults too and teens like eat that shit up. So it's wonderful. And also uh, Scott Rudin sucks. (laughs) That was incredibly civilized, everyone. I am very impressed. I think that's because we're all sharing mics, but uh, (laughs) that everyone has to stop and contain their thoughts and then form a sentence and then take a mic. It's a little more of a process, but I'm I'm very pleased with everybody. Good job. Good job, everyone. First round. Uh, what was your favorite moment at the theater this year? Okay, I'm going to go with a very unconventional one because it was a show that happened for one day and um, mostly only people who were invited got to see it. But in Skittles commercial, the Broadway musical. Yes. <laughs> also on my list. <laughs> I mean, it was actually a really tremendous work of weirdness. I don't even know. I mean, it was created by skittles as a commercial for skittles that would be live during the super bowl but it would never air during the super bowl it was just performed the day of the super bowl um and it wasn't actually on broadway but it was a musical uh that starred michael c hall um as a 
guy dressed as a cat from Cats? Oh, he was on his way to like an audition or something. God only knows. I, at this point, I can't remember exactly. Um, but there was a moment where Skittles start falling from the sky. A mob accidentally kills Michael C. Hall. And it just like the level of mayhem and creativity had just sort of built up so much that I think for me, that was one of my favorite moments. I mean, it was a script by Will Eno. Um, Sarah Benson directed it. Drew Grasbury needed the music, um, and the actual guy who works for the the ad agency did some of the lyrics and whatnot, um, and it was a contributor as well. So, you know, it was a very weird hybrid of experimental theater artists, commercial theater artists, commercial, commercial advertising people making a work that was kind of anti-capitalism while also selling capitalism. It just blew my mind at how it managed to pull those two things off. A polar bear crawls across the floor of a bodega while Winston Churchill is giving a pep talk to a dead Michael C. Hall in the afterlife. Like, did you think that a Skittles musical was going to make you question, like, the space-time continuum and alternate realities? Because I didn't, and I loved it. Wait, I didn't know it actually didn't air. So I just can't see it ever anywhere? No, sorry. I think Nicole has the record. Exclusivity. Like a record, record, record. Yeah, they um, it was stre- it was streaming on Spotify. You could listen to the music, the album of Skittles commercial, the Broadway musical. They also published the script at least for the attendees, although I don't think it's available in general. But um, if you know someone who went, who might be sitting at this table, they might be willing to show it to you. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> and he wrote this after Will Eno wrote this after he had a stroke. So this is also about death and mortality, but in a zany sarcastic weird way which is kind of Willino's thing like it was, I mean it is to- wholly within Willino's wheelhouse um but also then selling you skittles sort of but also then like being fully aware that they're both selling and not selling and in the same breath it was fascinating although I'm not huge I'm not I'm not a huge advocate in leaving New York City my favorite moment at the theater this year happened outside New York City and it's when I went to the forests of is it a forest if it's Hudson Valley? I don't know. It's like the country. It's so far away. Anyway, it's a valley. Yeah. Yeah, it is a valley. But if you haven't been to uh, any shows at the uh, Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival, is that what it's called, Jack? Yes. Okay. If you haven't been, it's just fucking magical. And the food's really good also, which is surprising. And it's sangria. Anyway, my favorite moment this summer they did Into the Woods, which was the first musical they've ever done. And... It started raining, so there were like technical problems and, and all that bullshit, and the show kept being postponed, and it started like, super late. But what was incredible was that at the moment when the witch was singing The Last Midnight, a thunderstorm broke, and there was lightning behind her in the valley, so it was like pitch black, and she was singing about how all these fucking characters are fucking assholes, and they're nice and, and dumb, and she's singing and like being so furious, well, fucking like thunder and lightning behind her. It was like, I don't know. It's like the universe, I think, is the greatest lighting designer out there. That was incredible. Well, she was both an actor and really a witch. <laughs> and she called nature to be her co-star. Now I want to be friends with her then. I mean, amazing. <laughs> I have a general favorite thing, and then I'll do a specific thing because that's cheating. Um, I love any moment in that I'm in a show where I am having the time of my life and nobody else in the theater is enjoying <laughs> themselves. 
It's happened yeah. a couple of times this year where, and I, I've seen enough plays at this point that I, I know within 10 minutes that I'm going to love the next two or three hours of my life. And everyone else is like, no thanks. And so then I just, just, just almost despite them, have a wonderful time. That happened just like a handful of times this year. Um, but one show that um, I thought also that I would use this opportunity to talk about a show that um, were shows that I think were sort of undervalued. Um, this year, one was a play called uh, Blue Ridge by Abby Rosebrock, which was at the Atlantic. And I loved that show, and it sort of came and went without much fanfare. But so favorite moment was the end of that play. It stars Mar- it starred Marin Ireland in an incredible cast of people, but she was the, the star of it. And Marin Ireland just has this wonderful scene at the very end of the play that, to answer another question, made me cry. And I just kind of sat there, and I just I just counted my Marin Ireland blessings because she you can see her for, for not too much money. And she's one of the great actors uh, in New York City. So that was that. So one of my most exciting uh, moments of the year was actually kind of similar. Um, I was at MCC and saw uh, Blacks. And it was mostly a white audience, as usual, older white audience. And this show is about three young black girls. One day in their life, uh, things unravel very quickly. And it's just, um, it's zany. It's ridiculous. It's completely rambunctious. The girls are wild. The music is popping. <laughs> it's insane overall. Um, and it's all... Th- it's a very layered look at these women's lives, and there's quite a bit of vulnerability as well. And um, I don't know. I just really loved having this different experience looking at three young black girls. And it wasn't all about them being black, but just about their trials and tribulations and aspirations. And uh, there were moments where I just could not contain my laughter or my joy. (laughs) And, you know, it was was quite um, an amazing experience and I had gone to a a kind of talk with the performance beforehand um, but I I didn't know to expect that it was going to be such a roller coaster of a show but I really did um, enjoy it very much. I concur. I want to also thank Jack for reminding me of my worst moment in theater. (laughs) You can feel the, the chill just walk across us when we heard Blue Ridge. But I'll get to that later. Uh, I was in the audience with Jack. I must have been the guy scowling next to Jack, adding to his pleasure. Um, my favorite moment, my favorite moment, I will say, uh, Signature Theater Lobby. I've seen so many stars, celebrities, hung out with so many people from theater just by being there and reading. I had a meeting about a project and there was another actor I ended up talking to. Jordan Cooper was at the table next to me working on his sitcom and then his play the next day. And I've had so many incidences at uh, Signature Theater where I'll get just a ticket to a dress rehearsal because I'm there. And I've seen most of the plays for free that way, as well as I get some work done. And then a block down, I will say half the season of uh, Playwrights Horizon, whenever I walk past it, uh, just amazed at a theater that's been around that's still daring and taking risk with I Was Most Alive With You, uh, with uh, Thin Place, which I actually enjoyed, uh, and with, of course, A Strange Loop, uh, and a, a theater that is millions and millions of dollars and that is still taking huge risk, a home run and striking out as many times that it has home runs, but uh, I really admire them. 
I don't know if anyone else here had the pleasure to see Andy Boyd's play at IRT. It was called uh, The Trade Federation or Let's Explore Globalization Through the Star Wars Prequels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there is a moment in that show, and it's, it's funny because I had actually forgotten about it. Um, because I had seen a reading of it, like, uh, God, two years ago. But there is a moment in it uh, in which uh, they reveal that there has been, there's been a paper bag full of, like, balls under your seat the whole time, and George Lucas uh, asks you to throw them at the stormtroopers to stop them from killing him, um, and then you get to throw them at the Death Star. <laughs> Which is just, like, that's the exact level of audience interaction <laughs> that I would like from any show. Um, and just a quick honorable mention also about, like, moments of friendship of, like, I saw a really weird show in Exponential. And then, like, Nicole and I and a bunch of other people had a really great Twitter thread about, like, the odd nipple choices in it. Um, I saw another weird show in Exponential. And, like, Aaron and I ran into each other. And then we talked outside in the cold for an hour and a half. It was great. Friends. Sorry, I'm just imagining other shows where they're like, and suddenly there's a ball, there's a paper bag full of balls underneath your seat. You can just throw them at the cast at any time. <laughs> can you imagine the chaos? I love it. Now that Andy's broken the seal, everyone should do it. <laughs> I think I speak for all of us, but I would like clarification on the phrase nipple choice. Mm, there's not a choice in my experience. <laughs> do you want me to get into this? <laughs> in like two sentences. In the first act of this show, the lead actress had pasties on her nipples under a see-through garment that made her nipples look very, very large. And it wasn't clear that they were pasties. In the second act, for some reason, she removed the pasties and wore a different see-through garment. And you could see that her nipples were not as large as the pasties made them look. Noted. <laughs> Maybe the pasties matched the outfit? No. Oh, okay. it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a lighting issue? That no. was my first thought. No. Oh. <laughs> So, like Jack, I'm going to cannibalize my own l answer to the crying question a little bit uh, and go way back to January when I saw God Said This at Primary Stages. And that was a show that made me cry and cry and cry and cry, which I didn't anticipate, which is stupid of me because it's literally a show about dying parents. Um, but then as we left the theater, the theater staff stood there and handed out little packets of tissues that had a nice primary stages sticker on it. And I just thought that was like such like a clever moment that was like simultaneously like a sweet gesture and good marketing. Uh, and I just like, like it was just like the perfect theatrical moment for me. I'm also leaving New York City, but I am flying to Chicago where I saw six. And that was my favorite moment, especially because it, uh, I listened to the album as uh, recommended by Kevin D. Daly of Twitter, a good friend. And it caught on with a certain sector of theater Twitter, mostly us MT people. And it was, I don't usually, unless it's available, which sometimes it's not, listen to the cast recording before I see a show. I do kind of like to go in blind. But this was in London. There weren't, we didn't know they were going to do a thousand, like, different productions at the same time. Um, and so I just, you know, I wanted to listen to it. And it's so good and clever and concise. And then the show not only matched the studio recording, but added to it, especially Catherine Howard's number. It's done straight straightforward as a song on the cast recording and in the show itself is like a 
very clear dramatic choice it breaks down sort of halfway through um that made me like it even more because uh it's it's a song about like predatory men so you're like bopping along and then when you see the show you're like okay good (laughs) it's not creepy for me to enjoy this song because it actually has like a narrative reason and it's powerful and I also took my 13 and 14 year old nieces to that and they really liked it and my sister and after we all uh, we all talked about like which song we liked which queen we liked best her her sort of performance and we all had different answers which I also thought was like great and a a fun thing to dissect afterwards like who connected with who and why Um, and I'm really excited that it's coming to New York and uh, for more people to see it everywhere on cruise ships also. So I was at God Said This with David and we both cried our faces off Um, so one of my moments is the the yellow dress at the end of God Said This, like very specifically, beautiful, tears, loved it. And then my other one would be um, Brittany, I believe her name, Brittany Bradford's reveal in the second act of Fafu, you know, when you're going around and around and around, and then her final like monologue where she's like six feet under and you're all staring down into the floor. And like, I knew it was, I knew that part was coming because I'm familiar with the play, but I think the way that they staged it was really beautiful and innovative and god she was good she did so much with ugh, it was just good I just loved it what was your worst moment at the theater this year Jose realizing I had to come back for three more hours of the inheritance (laughs) (laughs) you aren't the only one did you have to (laughs) I mean yeah because I'm a critic and all of that yeah but yeah uh, as I normally do in these podcasts, I'm not going to say what show I'm referring to. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Some people still have to work in this industry. However, <laughs> um, and this, I, I suppose I could chalk this up to a trend but or a, a type of thing I dislike, but there's a show in mind. Um, uh, sort of the shows that are designed to stroke the ego of a quote-unquote great white actor there's, um, I don't like like sort of vanity projects or celebrity-driven projects. I think every time I, even if the show is not bad, I sit there and I wonder why I'm I'm paying money to stroke someone's ego, to stroke a millionaire's ego, and I find that to be in poor taste. And when it happened, it actually happened a couple times this year, but there's one in particular. I was going to say, I couldn't figure out which one you were talking about. There's so many. When when, when the mics are off, Ben, don't you you fucking, uh, I will tell you. But um, but yeah, I just just find it very, um, it's not to say that all shows with celebrities are bad or craven necessarily, but a lot of times they are. Um, Anyway, so that's what I got to say. So my worst moment at the theater was, of this year was um, at the play Witness by Nia Witherspoon, and it was produced by the Playwrights Realm. Um, At first, it was very quiet, very beautiful. It kind of starts at the beginning of time. Uh, There's complete darkness, a little bit of lights, kind of the, yeah, beginning of the universe, and then it kind of leads up to today. And... It specifically tells a story of 
one of the many young black men who was shot and killed by police um, during a pullover. And the recreation of that scene, I mean, we hear it on the news so much, we see it on social media, you kind of get desensitized to it, but the way they recreated that moment kind of just broke my heart and I could not stop sobbing and I, I was like uncontrollable um and I went I, I went to the show alone so that was kind of embarrassing all of these strangers were like what's going on with that lady um but the show actually had the moment um they they tried to bring it up I think a little too too quickly but they invite everyone kind of on stage to kind of sing and to gather um, and to kind of uh, turn it into an empowering moment. Um, but just like that moment, I mean, it, it was kind of gut-wrenching. Um, so I, while I enjoyed the fact that the show was being put on, um, it also was very devastating. My worst moment, besides Blue Ridge, uh, which I've talked about, uh, and I've never seen a play that lost the audience so quickly, and we had to sit there and wonder, why isn't this play working? It's good acting, phenomenal acting. I can tell the, the writer's very talented. I respect Atlantic Theater Company. It just didn't work. There was never a moment I believed it. I sat there with an audience that was falling asleep, and we all were mystified. We talked about like the anointing oil that sometimes shows have that work that shouldn't. And there's a flip side to Anointing Oil, which is a show that should work and that just doesn't. And you're sitting there and you, it's almost like a puzzle. You're like, why is this play not touching me at all? The other moment uh, I will briefly mention is being in Bushwick, seeing, uh, seeing Black Exhibition on a sleepy Sunday afternoon, my friend walking in and then finding out that the star of the play was at the Inheritance premiere. And us sitting there and being like, well, the show starts now that he's starring in and that he wrote, and he's at the he's on the red carpet of the inheritance in Midtown, and then being told, we're holding for a few minutes for the author, he'll be right here. And my friend and I knowing he's in Midtown, he is nowhere near here, and sitting there for an hour and and watching people for an hour-long show, sitting there for an hour and watching people being told just 10 more minutes just to end us sitting there sort of half curious fascinated a little bit pissed off but also wondering if this was a social experiment how long people are gonna wait <laughs> that's the play and yeah and be lied to in 10 minute intervals he's just 10 minutes away when he was taking pictures for another show on the red carpet when he had his own show i i really like the public image of jeremy harris but that was a shitty moment and that's unprofessional, inexcusable, and also on the part of Bushwick Star, inexcusable. And when you're starring in a play, you should not be on the red carpet of another play. You don't get the Rihanna treatment. We get to hold your own show and make people wait. It's disrespectful. Um, I just don't understand why they didn't adjust the start time of the show for that day. Because they didn't care. They do not care about the audience. That's why you do that. When you do not care about people's time, you can keep them waiting for an hour while you're on the red carpet cheesing and, you know, partying with your friends. So that is why that happened. Complete disrespect. Mic drop. Hell yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> if only you could see the faces in this room. And I like Jeremy O'Harris. I have to say that. 
but that was completely disrespectful on the part of both the artist and the theater company. Yeah, they could have contacted ticket buyers, especially working in, in marketing. There was, was a way around that. That's shitty planning. Mm-mm. Eh, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't tell them. Uh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, um, so my moment, um, I'm going to say the play it was in, and it was in In Old Age by Anthony Soadofia, and this has nothing to do with the quality of the play, which I will not comment on here. Um, it has to do with the sound design. I made the mistake of coming to this show and this was in a double bill. It was like two hour and a half plays. I made the mistake of coming to the show with a very slight headache. But it's the kind of headache where, you know, I just sit down for a couple hours and then I feel great. The sound design in, in Old Age, what happens in this play is that it's about a haunted house. And this it's about a haunted house in which like a, the owner's daughter hires a contractor to come fix up the house so it's like in better condition because it hasn't been renovated in a long time and there is a ghost that is very loud for an hour and 10 minutes of the play that in random intervals is making loud banging noises and like echoing noises throughout the entire theater in random places with seemingly no pattern. And so it was very, very, very loud. Like I can tolerate loud noises. I can go to concerts. This was quite loud. And so by about 10 minutes after that started, my headache had become very bad. And then by the like hour later, I felt like I was going to die. (laughs) So um, I'm not going to say who the sound designer was. But if you're listening, fuck you. <laughs> you know, Ben, I actually had to put on my earbuds because I have I can have light and noise sensitivity sometimes, and it became a bit too much for me as well, sound-wise, for sure. Thank you. I'm glad to hear someone else had my experience. <laughs> I was like, were there was there signage? I mean, going in, did you no. did you know that also sort of that that might be a possibility, even if there weren't like was the haunted house aspect uh, a surprise or I think what it was supposed to be in the writing of the play was like there's a character and it's yeah, a ghost who makes banging noises okay yeah what it was done as was the entire fucking theater rattles <laughs> so again I'm going to cannibalize one of my later answers which is about leaving shows early um, and I'm not going to name the show but I will say that I ventured into New Jersey to see a show and what made it the worst was not that I had to leave a show early, but that I had to make a decision about leaving a show early based on the train schedule where um, like it was a show that I was super not into, but like if it had been here in New York, I probably would have stayed to the end. But knowing that if I left intermission, I could get home at a reasonable hour. And if I stayed to the end, I would have to wait almost a full hour after the end of the play for the next train because the theater and the train don't, align well um that like tipped my hand and i hated having to make a decision about whether or not to see the show based on these sort of external factors um although i do not regret the decision i made but i mean if at that point if you're trying to make the decision based on the train schedule you're you're mentally checked out you're already out yeah i mean i I don't think there was anything in the second act of that play that would have changed my mind um, but you know, I felt, I, I, I so rarely leave a show at intermission that it feels monumental to me when I do it. And I didn't feel like, like I didn't care for the show, but I don't know that it was like walk out on 42nd street 
bad. Um, whereas like if a show in Midtown like has to be real, like I've only, I think walked out of two shows in New York ever. Um, so you should walk out on more. Uh, well, maybe that'll be my resolution. <laughs> I've never walked out on a show. I don't know. Do I get a gold star? It, it is the that's greatest That's like the release. great grubber in me that really wants it a just, gold star right now. It is such a release <laughs> to stop fighting a work that you're not enjoying or that you're not feeling mm. good. Like you're in a show, you're not feeling like whatever it is. Like to give yourself the gift of time, I feel there's no other feeling in the world like it. <laughs> Hashtag self-care. <laughs> like I, I went to a production of Annie Get Your Gun a couple of years ago and just walking in, I noticed the cast... Uh, they had like the cast portraits and stuff. Every single person was white. I went, you know what? I'm gonna go get a Manny. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even yeah. go in. Yeah. yeah. Manny, get your gun. <laughs> very good. Very good. Manny, get your Manny. What you were looking for there. Um, pretty woman. That was my worst. What's the number The whole, the whole thing, the whole thing. Um, I, you know, like like any child of the the eighties, nineties. I, despite all of its problematic issues, it's a very charming movie. Also, I love that um, Gary Marshall like tricked everyone into making that movie. Like it was the script was entirely different, and he filmed scenes without telling people he was filming them, and then edited together a rom-com when it was supposed to be like a very serious movie. Uh, and I think the musical was exactly what everyone complains about when they're like, oh, another movie adaptation, where it really was they just took the movie, put it on stage, had some weird production numbers that didn't work. Um, and and like, I mean, if you told me, okay, Andy Carl is going to be in Rocky the Musical, Das Musical, and Pretty Woman, which one will work? I wouldn't have guessed that it was Rocky, but it, <laughs> it was Rocky. <laughs> and Was it? <laughs> Yes, comparatively. <laughs> Certainly between the two. Uh, I mean, I didn't. I didn't sit in Rocky and go, "Ugh, another song." Which, like, <laughs> that's. I've never had that experience in my life. I don't. I'm like, "Woo, Abba, another song, <laughs> Mamma Mia, another Mega Mix. Give it to me. Whatever. Inject it into my veins." This was like, I. I don't. I, it just didn't work. It just did not work. And you had talented people up there working very, very hard. And there were weird prostitute jokes, which, I mean, you couldn't guess that that would happen. But unfortunately, it did, even though uh, it could have not easily. Uh, it just, it was it was bad, bad. And my bad moment, I can already see, is part of Nicole's bad moment. And I'm going to say, first off, um, I love going to theater with Nicole, and uh, even when our, our interests don't line up, I appreciate your opinion always. Um, all of that out of the way, Nicole and I went to Bat Out of Hell together, and, um, and it was just mind-boggling. And the reason I, I bring Nicole into it, not just because she brought me there, is that... <laughs> My fault. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it really, to me, it highlighted the differences between you and I in our theater going. Because it just kept tanking, and when you thought it couldn't go any lower, it just kept going lower. And the response between the two of us 
was Nicole just sank into her chair. Like, I think she just folded into the fold of it. And I was on the edge of my seat, almost standing, laughing out loud when there was pure silence in the theater. (laughs) It was, like, I was just going, this is batshit insane. What is happening? That sounds great. love this. What is it? And Nicole... As I went further, closer to the stage, Nicole got further and further away. And, but we were both having the worst moment at the theater in our lives. Um, but, oh, man, what, what a delightful memory. What a good time that we had. I'm glad that you brought this up because, it yes, that is very, very true. And I think, I mean, I think in my own defense of folding into myself, like, sometimes my empathy like buttons can get overpressed and watching really, really talented people. I mean, that stage was full of talented people being abused by material. Like I just, it was so insufferable to me because I was like, I, it hurts me. It hurts me to watch you have to do these things that dramaturgically don't make any sense, that theatrically don't make any sense, that aren't even big and flashy. Like when that show was in London, they actually had a lot more like I don't a much bigger budget apparently. So like I mean the car like fell into the uh, uh, orchestra pit here. The what did it even do? Oh my god! My favorite part of that though, the part that I really like lost my mind is they brought a motorcycle on stage because as you know all of Meatloaf's songs are about motorcycles. Yeah, this whole and, thing. Yeah, and so the motorcycle came on stage on a track, uh, stage right, but it's on a track and the guy gets on it. But it can't go anywhere because it's on a track. So he no, revs the motorcycle no. and it just backs slowly no. off stage. No. And I was like, oh <laughs> I was like, you could have just taken the lights out before he got <laughs> like. Uh. But there was like little things like that where so I just mad I didn't, didn't understand at all. I mean, just duck cuts to your soul, like little cuts back, duck packs by uh, to your soul. It just is so painful to watch because you're sitting there watching the motorcycle back. <laughs> it's just, like the car that comes out on stage is going to get like, like folded open and then folded back up and I just stop. Just don't do this to everybody. Like it wasn't craptacular. I mean, it was craptacular for you, but it just wasn't even craptacular for me, which I thought maybe it would be enjoyable on a craptacular level, but it just pained me to my core and then also I guess my other worst moment at the theater is mother with Isabelle Huppert I, I I don't even know I don't even know what that was I don't know why I was there I don't know what happened to me but I sat there and then I left and there we are 2019 um what was your favorite non-traditional immersive experimental outdoors on a boat piece of theater you saw this year? So this this doesn't really there's a lot of great cabaret and sort of experimental theater I saw uh, this year, but actually the one I want to single out is a show called The Jazz Singer, um, which was at Abrams Art Center um, that was created by Joshua William Gelb and Nehemiah Luckett. Um, and basically, it just started with this idea of the jazz singer is like, you know, essentially regarded now as an antiquated answer to a trivia question. It was the first talkie, you see. And um, it's also famous for featuring blackface, and uh, which was it certainly was not the only film at the time that did that, but because it has this designation as the first talkie, it sort of is, is best remembered as that. So these two artists decided, but of course no one's, very few people have actually seen the film. So these two artists decided to make a stage show that sort of takes apart that movie and its legacy. Uh, they did a deep dive into sort of the history of the musical, how it was made, um, and 
kind of mash it all up together as well as including a narrative about how they made the show. And because of a lot of the feelings that the content of that movie triggered in the creative team, some members of the creative team left, which they talk about dur uh, during the performance, it also is a show that has music in it. And there, every night they had a different jazz musician actually sit in with the show and perform. The night I saw was a fantastic trumpet player. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it was just, it was this hodgepodge of sort of frustrating, um, just very saddening um, and beautiful look at a very problematic work of art. And uh, I, it just had tremendous honesty to it. And I don't know if many people got to see it, but as sort of an experimental multimedia piece of theater, um, it felt like a festival show that was outside of festival season. So I, I was sad that not a lot of people got to see it, but that was my favorite. I did not get a chance to see a lot of experimental theater this year, but outside, not on a boat, but in the park, <laughs> Shakespeare in the park, I went to Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, Deep and I got rained out and we sat there and weathered the storm to see the show. Danielle Brooks was absolutely amazing. She was so engaging, so full of energy. And then when I found out she was doing all of that while she was pregnant, because it was announced later, I was like, oh my goodness, that girl is amazing. Um, and then also, who doesn't want to see Chuck Cooper in a wig? <laughs> <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> when he came out, <laughs> he came out with the locks. I was like, wait, wait a minute. Um, the costumes were great. Uh, the music was great. And uh, that political banner that voted for state that said Stacey Abrams 2020 was uh, a quiet character of the show. <laughs> or loud? <laughs> character of the show? I mean, oh, she did. Why didn't you invite me to that performance? Oh, now the truth comes out. <laughs> so, yes, that was my adventurous, I guess, performance for the season, for the year. I guess now that I slam Bushwick Star, I should say that Bushwick Star and Brick are consistently my favorite spaces to see weird stuff. I might not like it, uh, they may be an hour late in actually showing up for their own show. Uh, they may lie to you while they're doing that. But once the show starts, the set looks great. No. Uh, and also, the performances are interesting and dynamic. Me and Ben saw Ike's uh, one-person show with a slide presentation at Brick, and I live two blocks away from there. So I have no excuse to not show up to all the stuff in Exponential this month. Uh, and so the two Bs, Bushwick and Brick. So I'm going to talk about, um, it was called Block Association Project by Michael Yates Crowley, and the Playwrights Realm did it in like a giant like hall. And what it was, and what was fun about it was that it tricked some people. Um, you, you get a ticket to this show, and then they send you a bunch of group like emails where like they're arguing about this block association that the show is about. And, but it's like, you're in the block association and there's like a lot of reply all angry emails. <laughs> um, and like, if you do reply to them, they in fact will reply back to you, <laughs> um, which is great. And then you come to the show and it's like basically a meeting, but like the people running the meeting are actors, but like you, you meet and you talk and you get into small groups and you come up with ideas and like, that's the show. Um, and I thought it worked real well. I like the concept of just emailing with the characters, and I'm sure it was like an enormous amount of work to do, but it was just fun and something new. What happened to all of the ideas? 
uh, they got thrown away, uh, mm. but as part of the story. Okay. Um, okay. Though, uh, I believe we did actually elect one of our audience members as the head of the Block Association. <laughs> Wait, so, so you overthrew yes. the current sitting We did. Chair? Interesting. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I was on the community board uh, for arts and culture in uh, West Harlem, and let me tell you, very dramatic. Mm, <laughs> very dramatic. <laughs> it was a show within itself. <laughs> so I already talked about Pips Island, which I think would have been my answer for this. Uh, so my backup answer is a show that I'm going to call a swing and a miss because I, there was a lot that I really liked about it, although I don't think it was ultimately successful, which was Midsummer, A Banquet, which was a uh, third rail production uh, teaming up with, I want to say Food for Love, doing a... Um, quasi-immersive Midsummer Night's Dream where uh, it was in a banquet hall and everyone uh, got to eat food that was served both in advance of the show and then by the cast during the show. And I thought it was, uh, first of all, I thought the food was really good, although it was not quite a meal. Um, and uh, and it was like very well-paired and clever and creative. And there was this one particular course where the fairies served you a mason jar and when you opened it smoke poured out and then it was like smoky vegetables it was so it was it was magic um the vegetable um, magic yeah Uh, unfortunately the the actual like performance of the shakespeare was not quite at the level that i wanted it to be not at the level of smoke coming out of a jelly jar (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's it was like it was like a really cool professional physical production with sort of like a college level um, interpretation of Shakespeare. So uh, it was sort of like you could see the potential there that wasn't quite reached. And so uh, it was so that's why I call it a swing and a miss. But I would I would trade like, um, you know, 10 like mediocre successes for one like interesting swing and a miss um i only saw traditional proscenium shows uh well i guess i I did see two shakespeare in the park shows but that's not my answer because i wanted to just give a plug to something that's a little different i just graduated with my master's of library science and archives certificate thank you thank you thank you that's why I've only seen 15 shows this year, uh, last year. Uh, welcome, I, welcome to the Masters Club. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, is there a is there a badge or a pin? Yes. Or? Oh, right. well, well, no, no, no. Wait, I wait, stay wait. away from hoods. <laughs> Let's just calm this down a bit. <laughs> stay away from hoods. Um, but I had the opportunity to visit the Schubert archives, which are uh, on the top floor of the Lyceum Theater, and that was really cool. Um, there's like a, a little secret door that that uh, they put up there. I can't remember who owned the theater. Mm, I don't know. Whoever built it. Jennifer Tepper, tell me later. Um, uh, and you look down from the, th- like from the very top of the theater and you can see the stage and this little trap door. But I also went to the Jerome Robbins exhibit at the MYPL, which was fantastic. And they are, they currently have a Hal Prince exhibit. And this was sort of my experimental theater plug because there's also like a stage set up in that exhibit where you, you can get up on stage and perform. Uh, and that runs through uh, March 31st at um, Library for Performing Arts, which is in Lincoln Center. And uh, yeah, so go to libraries. <laughs> I, w- I was going to say Skittles the Musical, but the more I think about it, the more it's pretty traditional. I mean, <laughs> it, it really worked within its, within its uh, structure to be 
bonkers. Uh, so I'm going to plug Caveat, which is a club downstairs. It used to be the Living Theater, or I think the Cow, briefly. Um, but now it is a mostly like a comedy and performing uh, theater with a sort of educational bent so if you go and you have a drink you see a show um you feel like you're coming out smarter than when you went in which is fun oh i know we've talked about your love our musical that's their one of their new homes um rebecca vigil north uh north coast if you were interested or you enjoy freestyle love supreme i would go see north coast price points a little better (laughs) um but they also have programs uh why your train is fucked is great it's all about the mta um yeah it's real fun uh she makes me laugh which is an all female like uh stand-up show Uh, they just have a lot of really fun and interesting programming there and i think they're a little off they're they're growing and i would just highly recommend looking at their calendar see what interests you and go and feel like you learned something on a friday or saturday night um, I saw a lot of experimental weird shit this year, but I'm going to call out the show that I had sort of been waiting for a couple of years to see. I saw a work in progress at um, New York Live Arts a while back and was sort of dying for it to finally come in its final form. But it's Wild Boar, which was at NYU Skirball, um, with three artists, Zoe Kumsmar from Australia, Adrian Truscott from America, and Ursula Martinez, who's British. And... These are three um, performance artists. Um, Zoe Kuzmar does a lot of stand-up as well. Um, Adrian Truscott does stand-up, frankly, these days too. Um, And each working in their own spheres, but came together to build a show out of theater reviews of their own work and of other people's work. And... um, and sort of takes these often negative, often scathing reviews of the work that they've done and builds a new show from that. And it's not just a kind of poking at, um, you know, old white man critics. It's a actual, you know, real sort of deep textual exploration of the language we use around performance and around women's bodies and around performance art and all of these things. And it's really interesting and funny and quirky. And then these three artists sit there and then turn that critical eye on themselves and the work they're doing on that stage and their own whiteness and the choices they've made to build this work and and question it. And it's, you know, if the critics aren't going to do it, then they're going to do it themselves. And it becomes a really, really interesting kind of twist to the piece. And, um, and, and just sort of like ridiculous prop comedy and delightful things and a lot of things going in and out of butts. Uh, some are real butts, some are stage butts. Like it's really delightful. And um, it only played for a couple nights, but maybe hopefully it'll, it'll come back at some other point. But these are three artists that, I mean, just always, if you see their name out there, they're absolutely worth seeing. I'm sorry I missed the butt show. <laughs> but my, my favorite... <laughs> My favorite was uh, the B-side by the Worcester Group at St. Anne's Warehouse, which was kind of like the, I don't know, like the, 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 the eeriest like record party that I've ever attended. And basically it was uh, performer Eric Berryman, uh, hold on, I need to read the name of the album, uh, using an album called Negro Folklore from Texas State Prisons. And playing every track in the in the record, and have he had two performers with him who, according to the program, channeled the the the, the people in the record. But it was kind of I don't know. It, it was it felt like a like uh, what do you call that thing where you call the spirits? Seance. 
Yes, it was a total seance. It was like the scariest show I saw in a way because it reminded me that this country has an entire history that's like trapped almost in on film and, and, and records and stuff like that. And I was very appreciative of Eric Berryman and the other performers letting these people speak their truth. But it was such a fucking sad truth because they're fucking working in prisons. And it made me angry. It made me uh, feel very exhilarated at the same time. And um, I, yeah, I just loved it. I, I, I want them to do like every record ever and do a show about it. All right. So what was your favorite non-theater performance, cabaret, comedy, music, etc.? Miss Penny Marie. I'm going to start with music or focus on it rather. So this was the first year that I actually attended Global Fest. It happens every January um, here in New York. And I mean, it was just so cool. It was at the Havana on uh, in the mid 40s and basically there are different acts in different rooms and you can just go up and down to see musical artists from all over the world each uh club or theater has a different vibe the energy is great and you never know who you'll see there um, and it's an a- annual event so you can check that out if you're interested uh coming up soon also tank and the bangas they performed at the apollo and I got to see them alive. So that was very exciting. I listened to Tariana Tank um, and her group all the time. And it's just, you know, such a, a joyous uh, rock. I mean, I can walk down the street and bop to it. And it was great to experience both, both of those musical uh, performances this season. For my selection, I'm going to stay at the DR2 Theater for Mike Daisy's Bad Faith and Hannah Gatsby's Douglas, uh, and uh, Mike Daisy's Bad Faith, I think he's still working on it, is about his divorce and the toxic relationship that sort of devolved into this divorce, as well as the toxic relationship in this country with our politics and with lying, and how, according to uh, Sartre's existentialism, you create an environment of bad faith where people know what's right and wrong and knowingly do the wrong thing because everyone else around them is doing that. And in an environment of bad faith, doing the right thing actually makes you a fool. So we're seeing that right now with this impeachment, with Republicans knowing that this guy is a con artist. They know he's a racist, a rapist, a liar, a cheat, a thief, a a political arsonist. And they will sit there and smile and lie because they have bad faith. I walked out of this play and immediately called one of my friends who's going through a toxic divorce. And I told her, this is what Mike Daisy was going through. Here's what happened in the play that sort of healed that. She went away, emailed her partner, and then a week later, she's like, you will never believe this. We're actually talking now. They're still getting a divorce, but what he was addressing in bad faith is that when that creeps in, everyone gets scared and tries to see why I cover their own ass. So what causes a amicable divorce, like Marriage Story, Jack's favorite movie, and into something toxic is that bad faith creeps in and you think, I don't wanna get screwed first. And so that's what happened in this person's relationship. And it was an actual direct incident of theater changing someone's relationship just by relaying a philosophy in theater into their life and they're on 
uh, pleasant terms now and are actually dealing and hashing things out where they hadn't talked in years. So that's because of a bad faith. Mike Daisy, yay. And then Douglas was great because I saw that with Dave Chappelle's thing dropped on Netflix. And then Douglas was like the opposite of that. So it's great to see a lot of things. I just want to say that bad faith was um, brought back and produced by Audible Theater. So uh, there will be an audio production of that available on Amazon sometime in the coming year. Save your marriage. Watch it. Two things tied in there by my friends because that's why they tied. Um, but the one is called 10 Days Next to a Cheesecake Factory, and it is a comedy show by my friend Ellie Phillips about her suicide attempt, which sounds like it wouldn't be funny, and it, it is extremely funny. Um, and it's also a very good um, indictment of the healthcare system and how it deals with mental health and basically just puts people in a room uh, until it can stop getting money from them and take, gives them no care. Um, but it's very funny and she's taking it into festivals. So that's great. Um, and then my friend Blaze Ferrer is a choreographer and he did a piece called PB, um, that I saw at Sundays on Broadway, but which he recently did at Judd's in the church, uh, in which he has a very, very large, long wig that like covers his entire head. And for about five minutes, he is wildly swinging his head around in a circle, which is virtuosic and incredible. I feel like my answer every year is Molly Pope at the duplex, but my answer is Molly Pope at the duplex. <laughs> Uh, she just showed this year called Molly Pope, a gay man and a piano. It was as advertised. Uh, she's bringing it back, uh, I think, monthly for the next several months. Uh, when I saw it, it was all songs she'd never performed before. It was no show tunes. It was all like pop, but like pop ranging from like the last hundred years of pop. Uh, she did some like incredible numbers from the doo-wop era that I love to sort of re-experience through her. Uh, so I highly recommend if you like Molly Pope and if you have a brain and a heart, I think you should uh, check out one of her upcoming shows. That was my recommendation on the recommendation uh, episode. And I didn't go because I was in school. Um <laughs> Like, I literally had class that night. Uh, so I saw Lady Lyricists, which is part of Broadway, the Broadway project at Symphony Space. And I literally only went because Kate Baldwin said she was singing back to before. And that's all I need in my life. Um, and it was, as advertised, <laughs> Kate Baldwin <laughs> sang back to before. And it was also just an incredible night of... Uh, a lot of great songs with uh, written by uh, from a female perspective even if the songs were sung by males um uh i there was a great moment when uh, mindy dick dickstein wa who wrote the lyrics for little women was was there there were a few of them who were in the audience and um i can't remember if it was an in intermission or after the show but the song Astonishing was performed and she was just talking to a group of people and she was like, man, she killed my song. She was like so excited mm -hmm. that there's, and it, it was like sort of a, it was a non-traditional performer singing Astonishing. It was this, I don't know what her name is. I should have brought my program, which of course I kept because I'm an archivist. Um, she was a black woman and how often do black women get to sing a song from Little Women in a cabaret show? Sure. Um, uh, but it was it was just a really fun moment to see her see someone else um, interpret her song in a way that perhaps she hadn't heard before. Uh, I went to Amateur Night at the Apollo. Woo! Oh my god! <laughs> like if you man, if you need like a jolt, a jolt of joy. If that's not like one of my my big cry triggers is like watching people do well like. I can't help it. I watch all the little kids on TV and I'm like, they did it. They 
my god so good and then i just cry um and that's all that amateur at the apollo was just me being like so excited and crying over people but specifically this woman who came on to sing i will always love you which okay and she gets exactly she gets she gets downstage center she gets two words in the entire audience does exactly what you guys just did and then she just stares people down in the front row and just gets real hard faced and then just belted the shit out of it. And oh, everyone wow. was like, yeah! <laughs> and it was beautiful. And I was like, I was so proud of her. So, That's yes. Like the image of someone saying, I will always love you with a scowl. Oh my God. Yeah, she just was like, yeah, yeah. You think I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, mm. and then she just like walked out. Oh my God, it was incredible. It was, it, she just sang it out of spite. And I think it was so yes. good. <laughs> It's so interesting. People people perform the the same songs all the time because they want the audience to like know it and love it. And there are so many versions, uh, and you never know which way it's gonna go. Right, and so that's a lot not of people get booed. Easy song, not at so all. It, you know, the odds were against her, but man, it was great. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed. Did you get on stage and dance? No, because I was all the way up at the top. Oh my gosh, tell me, I have to bring you back. Okay. I'm sorry about I'll that. I'll come back and dance. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so I don't usually see a lot of cabaret, um, but I got sort of arm twisted into seeing Two Hander with Sherry Renee Scott and Norbert Leo Butts, um, who are two performers I'm aware of, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I feel like I need to frame, you know, frame this that like you know who are not personally important to me. Um, you know, I've seen. Well, actually, I don't know if I'd seen Sherry do. Yes, no, I saw her. Wasn't she in that? World of Illusion. No, I didn't. No, everyday uh, rapture. No, I, all the things. No, I. Uh, um, Aida. So no. <laughs> so I don't know if I'd ever actually seen Sherry before. I'd seen Norbert done in a lot of things, and I've always been kind of like I don't get the Norbert appeal. So I'm also I know I know this is I mean, but let's just you know this is my favorite non-theater performance. Uh, you know, so I. It, don't worry, guys. People have opinions, right? But I came around. <laughs> I mean, this show made me come around in a way that was wholly unexpected because it's a show that Sherry wrote about essentially the dissolution of their relationship and friendship and then this very sort of tiptoeing tentativeness to bring each other back into each other's life. And it was not what I was expecting. It was not sort of a warm and fuzzy, you know, cabaret night. There wasn't a lot of patter. There was a lot of scenes and songs and separate scenes and sometimes scenes together. Um, and a lot of sort of Norbert sitting on the side watching her sort of beaming at her in a way, which was as part of the sort of narrative was also sort of really emotional to see and it is very personal um and really raw and I know they've been doing sort of iterations of this and it's been growing and changing and I know the price for these tickets was ridiculous so I know a lot of people didn't see it because of that um but it did I mean I I know Sherry has has written a number of shows herself um and you know I I understand like she has you know a really great uh I, um, sort of idea of narrative but here also because it's sort of the two of them and their relationship with each other I was sort of impressed that he went along for this and was like okay write the story from your perspective about me too because she's also revealing things about him and I'm assuming he contributed you know to some degree but in in a very much from her perspective um I don't know it was it was really startling it was really emotional they interpreted songs in ways I'd never heard before um 
And uh, yeah, I, it kind of blew me away. So, all right, I, you know, I'll, I'll admit to being, you know, they got me. <laughs> For some reason, I ended up going, having to go to Philadelphia to see Madonna. And Madonna usually does like humongous, like every time I've seen her, she's done like humongous arenas. Like I've seen her at Yankee Stadium. I've seen her at MSG. And like I saw her in Miami, whatever, like a sport. Jack, it's like a sports place. Is it famous? <laughs> American Airlines Arena? I don't know. Which one? American Airlines Arena? Yes, okay. yes. It, well, anyway. But but this this time around, for some reason, she was doing smaller scale residencies. Like she did a whole month-long residency at BAM. And I ended up seeing her in Philly at the Met, which was not an opera house or a museum, but a theater. Um, and as, as, as with everything Madonna, even though the, the size of the venue was much smaller, it was such a spectacle. It was magical. And she, you know, like she's the kind of performer who does not, she could make you wait for an hour if she wanted to. And she did apparently for a while. <laughs> but when I saw her, she had adjusted the, the tickets, like Ticketmaster sent you an email going, it's not at 8.30 anymore, it's at 10.30. But yeah, but anyway. But she's so incredible, and she dances, and she sings, and the sets are magical, and there's, like, fucking Lola has, like, a cameo as, like, she's dancing to Frozen. It was, like, I got, you know, chills everywhere. But just the entire experience was, I don't know, it gave me, like, a sense of when she sang, like, a prayer, I felt like I was literally in church. And I also got to see uh, a gay guy and a straight girl, like, go into get into a fight. And it was... It was chaotic. Yeah, it was chaotic. And I was, you know, like downing whiskey. And it was it was incredible. It was, she talked about her vagina forever. And then she talked about abortion. And someone yelled, fuck you, Madonna. Which I was oh, like. Madonna show. Yeah. I was like, how how did this person who knows this woman sang Peppa Don't Preach end up like being here? But anyway, it was, it was magical. Well, no, she does I, keep her baby in that song. Hmm? In Papa Don't Preach. No, 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 I know, but I mean... I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I have a clarifying question. You said you ended up having to go to Philadelphia. I can understand yes. why it would be desirable. Why did you have to? It's a pilgrimage. It's a religion. You wouldn't understand that. I see, I see, I see, I <laughs> see. Life is a mystery. I, I at this very moment, uh, can't remember a lot of comedy cabaret things I saw, but <laughs> something that happened very recently... Uh, I saw at Ars Nova a work in progress of the Bankson's uh, new show. So they have had two of their sort of autobiographical musicals play in New York. I know, yeah. and everyone is making faces. Uh, oh, I love one of those though. I like Hundred Days, and the other one I'm blanking on. I the, hate them so much. The title. Um, <laughs> I've only just heard of them. The one at Ars Nova was the other one. I don't remember. Its name. Yeah, um, which I also enjoyed, Nicole. And um, and I saw they did a very much a work in progress, just sort of concert at Ars Nova of the third part of the trilogy, which they're working on. And there's something about the Bengtsons that um, I'm just like deliberately not, not looking at Nicole as I say this, <laughs> where I, I'm always sort of surprised at how at ease they are um, and how how familial they make, not just the people in the stage field, because half of them are family, um, but also how they make the audience feel part of the journey and them figuring stuff out. Uh, and I was just really, really touched by that. And I just sort of felt like I was in Ars Nova, but I felt like I was sitting in a living room just sort of listening to uh, two people who I respect deeply just sort of say, hey, just some stuff I'm working on. And I don't know. I just, it was the most joyful witnessing of the creative process I had had. Um, so that's what I got. I support you. 
because we are the lucky oh. ones and we'll open up I don't know all the words but. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole does don't worry no no it's fine I mean I'm being a little petulant here I, I, I don't enjoy their work I find it really navel gazy I really had huge ethical problems with the lucky ones so you know but I understand it, it, it people's passion for the work that they do I just have never experienced that passion what was the best musical you saw this year strange loop by Michael R. Jackson we're all going to say the same thing so let me just start with this is 10 years in development (laughs) 10 years no 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 lightning says you say the name and then you get past the microphone I was just saying it's 10 years in development and watching it go from cabaret to reading to actually buying the LP before it's wonderful to watch a black gay man get a moment. So I'm going to give him a moment. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if it's lightning. Was, I cede my time to Aaron because I agree with him. That was so that giving him. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Then I don't cede my time. I say A Strange Loop by Michael Jackson. We should demand as a community that he has a long, prosperous career because he's so good. Mm-hmm. Strange Loop. Yes, yeah, Strange Loop. I didn't see Strange Loop. I was gonna. I know. Sorry, everybody. I'm so sorry. Um, I want to say Octet, but it's just to fuck with Ben. <laughs> Strange Loop. I love Strange Loop also. So I'll mention Dogman the Musical, which I thought was fucking brilliant, and it was like my my runner-up. Pretty Woman. Of course it's Strange Loop. <laughs> of course it's Strange Loop. I'll fight you. <laughs> So, of course, I have Strange Loop, but I also have, for Broadway, Town because Andre DeShields really Ooh. brought it. Let me tell you, all these years, he's been waiting to come back, and he delivered on that show. And also, I like the lighting and the set reveal. Best play you saw this year, Ben? I'm sorry, it's a tie like always, but... Uh... I think the one that I'm going to say first is a play titled after the collective noun for female identifying 20-somethings living in NYC in the 2010s uh, by Haley Rashan. Uh, you can just call it collective noun. It's published. You should do it. It's very good. Um, alongside uh, Is This a Room, which we've talked about already in this episode. Here's the fourth turning by Will Arbery. I only saw two plays. Much Ado About Nothing. New play, Is This a Room. Uh, revival of Fefu and her friends. I'm going to say, what if they went to Moscow, which is uh, Christiane Jatahadi. I don't know how to say her name. I'm so sorry. It's a Brazilian artist adaptation of Three Sisters that was both a live performance and a cinema performance. So it was, it was filmed and performed live and you spent the first half in one space in a cinema or in a theater and then you switched so the audience would switch and then experience the show from the other angle and it was incredible. The Sublime 1 and 2 by Donye Arlove. Heroes of the Fourth Turning by Will Arbery. Ain't No Mo at the Public by Jordan E. Cooper and this was in honor or based on the 400 years that black people have been in this country. It was variations of blackness. It was edgy, unsettling, but also comforting in an in an odd way. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Heroes of the Fourth Turning and You Never Touch Dirt by Zhu Yi at Club Thumb. Only ran 10 days. Amazing. The parasite of of theater this year. Uh, what was your personal ambition for theater in 2019 and did you achieve it? Uh, so my ambition was to stop chasing discounts to see everything and instead just pay full price to see the things I actually want to see. You got money. Well, no. Just, the idea being that I'm, I'm like, spending wow. so many, like, those discounted tickets all add up. And so yeah. instead of seeing five things for $20, yeah. see one thing for $100. Oh, got it, got it. Um, I certainly have s- seen fewer things this year as part of the whole, like, let's tighten my belt and not just see things because the tickets are there. I don't know if I've seen more things at full price, so I'll give myself half credit. 
Um, I think it was to see more shows, and I can't remember how many shows I saw last the year before that, so let's call it even. <laughs> I probably did about the same. All right, I think mine was to be more present in theater that I saw, and I will say, though, I saw less theater this year, and a lot of theater I saw I did not enjoy, I hate to say, um, but the things that I loved, I really loved, and I felt like I was more present, so I think I, I, think I did good. On myself. Um, my goal was to work with more underrepresented writers. Um, I'm the editor, uh, managing editor at XCN NYC, and um, I did. I did work with more underrepresented writers, and um, Jose and I had put together a list of critics and journalists, uh, underrepresented critics and journalists, um, that we've been trying to circulate quite a bit, and I think I'm happy to report that theaters are absolutely reaching out and asking how can we invite the people on this list. Um, editors are working with the people on the list. Um, I'm thrilled that it is doing, you know, a little bit of, you know, making a little bit of change in the world. So I didn't do the podcast last year, but I was I was thinking about the last time I did one of these uh, year-end uh, podcasts. It was when Lindsay was here. And I remember saying that I was just looking forward to someday, the election had just happened, and just looking forward to seeing Kiss Me Kate and I got to see Kiss Me Kate in 2019. <laughs> and, you know, I can't believe we're still here. I'm, yeah, and, you know, like to pay homage to David's uh, T-shirt today, we're still here. And it's fucking unbelievable. So, yeah, I hope Iran or someone doesn't like nuke us right now. I'm not going to get back uptown. <laughs> I don't remember what my resolution was. So I'm going to pretend that it was to be petulant on the Internet. And I did it. <laughs> cool. Unlike David, I'm playing the the comp waiting game, comp roulette. Um, my goal was to take more folks of color with me to see these shows that say they're targeted to people of color, but I'm not. I'm like one of few in the audience, and I did not accomplish that this year because often I would get a ticket at the last minute and take any of my friends who, who were was available. Mine was explode the frame, whatever that meant. So <laughs> I saw stuff, exactly, in South Carolina, D.C., uh, a gay leather bar in New York City seeing plays there. So I think that's exploding the frame and, and putting actual theater in some of my TV work that is going up on Evil and the Good Fight. So it's right. branching out with theater in different medias and in different cities. My ambition for this year was to see more shows, particularly by uh, artists who I didn't know, particularly like early career artists. Um, I think I sort of succeeded in that, though I was shocked to learn that I saw fewer shows than last year, because last year I saw 129. This year I saw 123. The year before I saw 172. So I guess I just keep seeing less and less and less forever. Um, but I think I can do that better next year. I don't know. I, part of it was I thought I was going to get a job that I didn't get. Uh, <laughs> But uh, we'll see what happens. You're still averaging two a week. That's great. For now. <laughs> and well, and I actually, I remember from last year you doing the statistics, and I did sort of dig mine out because I wanted to, you know, I feel like it's important to sort of, you know, own the work you're doing. And if you're saying things on the internet, then, you know, kind of living that. Um, I ended up seeing 174 shows this year, which is slightly less than the year before, which is great. Always like a little bit of less. Um, but I d saw an increase um, in the work by artists of color. I went from 25% to 27%. Um, work by women, I went from 40% to 51%. And work by underrepresented artists overall, I went from 50% to 63%, which I feel like is not 
just it's not me it's the fact that also theaters are programming more are um putting more work out there by artists of lots of different backgrounds and you know but I'm also making hopefully better choices in terms of supporting artists that might not otherwise get that support so then what are your what are your goals for 2020 friends I would like to see 16 shows this year just kidding no I already have (laughs) two shows booked for January and three for February so I'm on my way um personally I am in a performing arts archivist uh meetup group so I want to continue meeting up with them making professional contacts as well um I I would love at some point to work in a theater archive or at the LPA so um uh, and then keeping my own sort of uh, archive going. Part of the reason I don't know how many shows I saw is because I do I do have a spreadsheet. I do digitize my playbills, but I haven't updated it. So I'm also looking forward to doing that for the past two years and uh, updating my uh, theater spreadsheet and my uh, show spreadsheet. The, mine is kind of a resolution I think I brought up on the podcast years ago, which is that I want to see more theater and I want to have more follow through because there's so many times where I go, oh yeah, that sounds really good. And then I miss the ticket buying window and I can't go see it and I feel bad. Uh, so I want to have more follow through. Uh, I think maybe that comes with, I would like some more disposable income, but I don't mm, think that's something yes. we can do here. <laughs> ticket allocation. <laughs> Um, I feel like I say this every year, but I'm going to say it and try to hold myself to it this year. More off-off Broadway work. Um, I get invited to a lot of Broadway. I get invited to a lot of major off-Broadway work. Um, and so I do try to spend my money when I'm, if I'm not getting comp tickets to things, then, you know, I want to spend my money on, um, smaller theaters and places that you know I I'm not going to ask for comps from um even if they might want to offer them I turn them down like I will pay I want artists to see some of this money um but I don't feel like I'm seeing enough off off Broadway and there's so much work happening and it's hard every year but I want to make that a priority so I'm hoping listeners can help me figure out which of my resolutions I want to commit to because they're like extreme opposites so on one side, I ended up. I thought I had seen less theater in 2019 than I'd seen in 2018, and it turns out I'd seen like 40 more shows in 2019. Wow. Yes, and uh, and I ended up seeing 293 shows. Whoa, so, that's the record. So on one side, like I wanna, I may, may help me make up my mind. Do I wanna cross the 300 no. mark this year, or my other resolution is I'm seeing between six to like 10 shows every week. And I want to take at least one day off. Yes. 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 Life is precious. Day off. Jose, with math, but you I could like literally it. do both. You could do a day off every week and see 300 shows still. And then you'll do yeah. nothing else with your life. No. I'm gay. I don't know math. <laughs> As someone who has crossed the 300 mark on a couple of occasions, uh-huh. you need to take... I now have a, uh, absolutely no theater on Sundays of any kind. Mm-hmm which includes not seeing plays on Sundays, not reading plays on Sundays, and actually, this is is the hardest thing, not talking to theater people. Making time for, not because I don't like them, but making time for friends who are not in the business, because I think it's important to remind myself on a weekly basis that, you know, there are other people in the world, and civilians are actually quite fun when you get to know them. (laughs) Um, Do you talk to Elizabeth? <laughs> no, it's very tough. It's very tough. Um, yeah, I, I, my, my girlfriend is, has the exact same job as me at a different theater. So yeah, that's that's what we talk about. Um, I don't know what I, w- I, I say for theater going. Um, I my goal is oddly enough to see more Broadway shows 
because I, and only for this reason, not because I think Broadway is so amazing or anything, but I think I kind of instinctually have always treated Broadway as a garbage place because, I don't know, commercial theater, it sucks. But I actually realize that that's stupid as a rule. There's plenty of good, there's good shows on Broadway, there's bad shows on Broadway, and I just sort of stopped going to Broadway as a rule, and I would like to change that because... So there's some, especially now because there's some interesting shit happening on Broadway, especially this year. A lot of plays got to Broadway that didn't, that that maybe in previous years would never have had a shot at going there. Um, and I'm just more interested in the ecosystem now. I think it's so it's more of a curiosity than a like, gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful? And I think work feels different in different rooms. So I think it is actually really interesting to see work downtown that sometimes goes to Broadway and see it with a very different crowd, see it in a bigger room, see it on a bigger stage, just to know, like, it, it changes the work. Yeah. And professionally, the only th- that my goal is to only support, not only, but for the, for the most part, support uh, weirdos and funny people. Ideally, both at the same time. Yeah, it is interesting to see shows uh, transition, although... I don't know that it always works in the best interest of of the shows. Uh, certainly, I didn't feel that was uh, great for a slave play. Um, but, you know, everyone has their own uh, perspectives. But I thought it was better off Broadway in a more intimate space. Um, so my ambition is to actually see theater on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was an interesting question. I'm like, wait a minute. Why have I never seen a play? As, as Patty mentioned, I Go believe Six, six is going to be on, on a cruise. Norwegian cruise. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Or just do ferry play, which you can do with your iPhone and the Staten Island oh, Ferry. Oh, yeah, it's oh, real fun. Okay, okay. That is easy. It's like $1.29. You're good. So, yeah, just get a little um, outside of the box and a little more immersive theater and I don't know maybe get a a sponsor so that I can have more discretionary income I mean I don't mind paying if I have it but these student loans honey just saying Squarespace if you're listening (laughs) it's a crime we haven't gotten a sponsor Uh, I'm gonna say what other people have mentioned in the past which is quality over quantity not only in what I watch but also in the projects I accept I'm reaching a certain point where my time is limited, and so uh, turning down projects this year, as well as maybe not seeing 50 shows a week and just focusing on the one or two. So I think it could happen, and I'm excited. Yay. I want to come up with a better system to track what's happening and going to happen. Um, I have a system which is basically I have a dedicated email account that gets all the newsletters from everything that matters. And uh, it doesn't work because I every month or so someone's talking to me about something and I'm like, what is that? I haven't heard of that. Um, just yesterday, my friend said, uh, do you want to go to Intimate Apparel? And I was like, what? And he was like, there's an opera of Intimate Apparel. And I was like, what? That sounds great. How, why haven't I heard about this? <laughs> um, and it's because they didn't send any emails about it. So I have to come up with a better system than email because apparently theaters aren't doing good enough at it. So if anyone has any ideas, please let me know. I think it's good to not always know about everything because you can't see everything. Um, Speaking of not seeing, my theater uh, resolution is to listen to more audio drama in 2020. Uh, I've been really resistant to audible.com because I don't want to be giving Amazon any more of my money, but I really love their investment in both 
recording plays and commissioning audio plays. And so I think that may be the route I go, although um, I also uh, have really appreciated LA Theater Works and particularly the New York Public Library's commitment to shelve a lot of LA Theater Works audio plays as um, as e-audio books that I don't even have to go to the library to get. Um, this dovetails nicely with my not New Year's resolution because it started uh, in the fall, but my renewed commitment to exercise more and uh, audio plays and the treadmill go really well together. So that's, uh, let's, to, to quantify this, let's say I would like to hear at least 12 audio plays in 2020. Also listen to Mission to Zix. You're welcome. What is your hope for the theater community in 2020? And this is something that I left thinking about after Jagged Little Pill, of all things. Um, and it reminded me a little of what I really loved when I saw Head Over Heels last year, which is you have all these different bodies and identities and and presentation and and all of that that are allowed to just exist in the background and it's not really a statement necessarily it's not it's not the focus it's not a big it's just they're just bodies existing in space so I would like to see more different bodies allowed to just exist in space not not centering the story just like like I, I see people of all all different kinds all day long walking around and talking and just living their lives in the background of other things. So I would like to see more of that to where it is so more inconsequential representation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. where yeah. it has no bearing on anything. It's just like, oh, look, there, there go those people. You know, like I would love something like that. Just very, yeah, minor, minor rep. I don't casual. know, casual. casual representation. Just like. Let people let people walk into rooms and talk. That's that's all I'm asking. Um, I I don't know. I, I I totally support that idea. I really like that idea. Um, I wrote down less calling out and more action. Um, I had interviewed Leonanaka Winkler a while back, and she was sort of talking about you know not just sitting there complaining about things, but seeing you know making change happen. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not in the industry. I am very much independent and outside the industry, so I don't know what I can do um you know I'm doing what I can on sort of publication fronts but um and maybe that's important enough right now in a you know an increasingly shrinking field um but I do think that it would be nice to see you know I'm always sort of you know where am I gonna put my lady dollars like maybe not in things that are not respecting my lady dollars I want the cast of Cats the Motion Picture to absolve themselves and do a limited run of Cats on Broadway to show that it's a great show and like the cast is really good. Yes. What do I want to see? Um, there's two, th two things I would want to encourage. Um, one is uh, sometimes I feel like we, we live in a dark time and our theater often reflects that. Um, and this is going to sound flippant, but I promise you it's not, is I, I wish theater was more fun. I think sometimes, especially in the off-Broadway sphere, we think of sort of a good night out as being mutually exclusive from being an important work of art that says important things. I wish they didn't feel like they had to be separate um, so often. The other thing that uh, sort of, not necessarily a trend, but there's a few artists that I've that maybe the most excited over the last year that I just want to encourage. Uh, there are artists who uh, uh, put ritual at the center of a theatrical experience. 
I find that, especially in an age where film and television is so, you know, is is a perfectly acceptable way to spend your money um, and not that much of it to get uh, entertained, uh, I start thinking about what are the things that only theater can do. Why does this have to be on a stage as opposed to on a screen? And ritual is one of the things that I think that we do really well. We've done it for thousands of years. Uh, and there's a few shows in the past couple of years, uh, that Nia Witherspoon show that uh, Penny Maria referenced, uh, What to Send Up When It Goes Down by Alicia Harris. There's been a number of shows that I feel like center the practice of communal ritual. Uh, and I just love that experience. I'd love to see more of that. Approved. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I want the theater community um, in all of these theaters to be more mindful of being inclusive in new ways. Yes, you know, having people from various backgrounds, racially, ethnic, ethnically, very important, but let's open that up. So Oklahoma with Ali Stroker, I think that was amazing. Also for Colored Girls, the way they did Lady in Purple uh, with uh, the woman who spoke sign language and with the movement choreographed by Camille A. Brown, that was remarkable. And also, I don't know if you guys noticed, for Jagged Little Pill, they actually included pronouns in the playbill. So making little changes like that, um, I guess this is closely related to what you were saying, Liz. I want theaters to be very mindful. And also the creators, so that they can advocate for that if the theaters aren't thinking about it. I think being irreverent, sardonic, nostalgic, uh, dealing with arts problems, on stage and in film and TV just doesn't belong to white people. Uh, I would love to see for every Little Women's adaptation, their eyes are watching God. Mm. I would love to That's see for every, exactly for every marriage story, uh, people of color who aren't necessarily getting beaten down by the police, who are dealing with arts problems and aren't necessarily from an upper middle class or wealthy background and white. For every La La Land, I'd like a Blah Blah Land of black people. <laughs> Dealing with shit who burst out into song. Oh, and not that's me. And there you go. It's Penny's, Penny's oh story. Gosh. And not because they're getting chased by the ghost of a slave or because they're getting beaten by a police officer or they're talking to Malcolm X or the ghost of Martin Luther King because they're in love. Because black people have joy and love and irreverency and melancholy and nuanced emotions outside of the white gaze of crisis, trauma, and crime. And when we talk about that in 2020, it's an election year, uh, bringing up black issues that aren't just about criminality in prison. We have another life. People of color have other lives. It'd be wonderful to see those nuances, because I like Little Women. I liked you know, certain aspects of marriage story. Why couldn't those be with a Thai family or Latino family? I'm with Nicole on this, but a little more extreme and slightly different. Um, I think we should tactical drone strike Neil Butte and David Mamet and all the people <laughs> like them. Look, I've been advocating yes, for this for years. years. I, I think that we should Scott remove them from our community and the people like them because everyone in the community unanimously hates them in their work, agrees that it's bad, agrees that it's tasteless, agrees that it is prejudiced and something that we shouldn't be platforming. And yet we allow them to have opportunities over and over and over and over and over and over and over again everywhere. And if you are hearing this and have the power to make that not happen or to make something else happen, please do. Because you feel the same thing that we do, I think. 
I think. I'm not sure I was actually advocating for violence, so just to be clear, <laughs> as the, the lawyer strike, in this room, I feel a little... <laughs> the drone strike doesn't kill them. It just makes them unable to write anymore. Just do violence to their careers. <laughs> I think that my wish for the theater community is for all of us, on whichever side of the footlights we sit, come to a better understanding that you can love the theater without having to love everything in the theater. You can love a genre or a medium. You can love musicals. You can love dramas. You can love tragedies without loving every musical or every drama and every tragedy. And you don't need to judge the people who love things differently than the way you love them. Uh, I, I think overall in society we're at like sort of peak toxic fandom. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's particularly bad for movie fans, but I think that it's uh, you see it uh, you see it for theater fans. You particularly see it for Broadway fans. Uh, you particularly see it for Broadway musical fans. And I would just like, and maybe this is a little bit of uh, the self awareness that uh, teenage David would never recognize forty uh, one year old David who has talked about nothing other than cats for the last three weeks, um, but. Uh, and I'm not saying that you need to like things that you don't think you like or that you didn't like before, but just uh, I, I think allowing space for uh, for the distinction between uh, people's taste and things being objectively good or bad, and also the understanding that sometimes things that are objectively bad are also enjoyable to certain people. Uh, so that's, uh, that's my wish, is that uh, everyone can sort of love what they love and allow other people to love what they love and just more love. Sounds like a basic human tenant. Um, a revival of MAME starring Donna Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys all kind of said all the good points. Not that there aren't more, but um, uh, yeah. Um, also, I mean, sort of combining Liz's point and Oren's point, like casual representation, but also blatant representation of of those different kinds of stories that like, a, a, you know, what was so great about Head Over Heels is that it was a, a fat woman playing the lead romantic role and it wasn't about her being fat. I'm talking to you, Margarita Vell, and it should have been you like it, you know, and it's the same, it's this, well, it's the same but slightly different with what you were talking about. Like, tell us the stories, the other stories that exist surrounding these people. To sum that up, I'll say, it's been a long, a long time coming, but I know change is going to come. Oh. Man, I couldn't have yes, written a better good. ending. <laughs> Goodbye. See you in the next part. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Maximu. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can find them all on the store at Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. A reminder that we'll be back in a week with the second half of our 2019 year-end jam. After that, we'll return to programming as usual. See you again soon.